I'm Michelle Broadbent and welcome to your Business Boost podcast. Join me as I take you behind the scenes to show you what it's really like to build a successful business. I'll be sharing practical tools, advice and insights that will change the way you work. So if you're ready to boost your business and your life, let's get started with today's episode. Hello, it's Michelle here. Welcome to this Life Boost episode of the podcast. I hope that you are either still enjoying or have enjoyed a really beautiful restorative break over the new year period. I hope that you have had time to really, really take care of yourself. That is something that I have absolutely vowed for myself for 2023 is that I am going to take better care of Michelle. I spoke very openly last year about how depleted I was by the end of the year. I didn't get to the end of the year without kind of crumbling. And I know from lots of conversations that I've had with many women in my world that I was not the only person to feel that way. And I know very, very acutely aware that when we are away from our regular life, as we are when we have a break, it is very easy to, um, you know, commit to and set really great intentions around how we are going to be better at looking after ourselves. But then what so often happens is that real life kicks in either later this month or early February, and many of those really great intentions can fall away. So how can we be better at prioritizing our health and well-being this year? Because it is really, really important, particularly as we're getting older, we can't just keep ignoring this stuff. So I thought, what better person than my guest today Dr. Kelly Rose to come in and have a chat about this exact topic with us. So Kelly runs a thriving executive health coaching business where she empowers, inspires, and supports women in business to perform, lead, and succeed through the science of well-being. So several years ago, Kelly experienced really, really debilitating burnout while she was essentially living her dream life. She was working in a space where she was supporting some of the world's most elite athletes. She had all of the knowledge. She knew it all, and yet she still experienced burnout. And it was this burnout that lit a fire in her, knowing that she needed to obviously change things in her own life. But how could she apply the learnings that she got from her burnout to prevent other women from experiencing what she had experienced and so became the business that she now runs, which is where she uses those skills in human performance optimization that she built from working with those elite athletes. She utilizes those those skills now with her own clients and she is an absolute font of knowledge in this space. So if you finished 
up 2022 feeling a little bit ordinary, you are going to get so much from my chat with Dr. Kelly. So I learned so much fascinating information from this conversation. And what I love is that she's not just sprouting information at us, she's giving us some really implementable tips, tips that are easy to action and things that we can incorporate into our everyday. So all the links to Kelly's work are in the show notes for this episode. And I encourage you to check them out because there's some really great resources there to help you focus on your well-being this year. So please enjoy my chat with Dr. Kelly Rose. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. I'm so looking forward to this chat today. And I wanted to start off with the word burnout because I think rightly or wrongly, this term does get thrown around along with words like tired, exhausted, depleted, stressed out. These are words that, you know, we often hear women using to describe how they are feeling and in the spirit of of using the right words for things could you please give us the correct definition of burnout what it actually is and how it's different from being tired or stressed out absolutely i love that we're starting here because i feel like i've been spending half my year clarifying what burnout actually is um, because too often we're getting it wrong and it undermines the seriousness of the situation but also hinders our ability i think to correctly uh, address it so interestingly in 2019 the world health organization actually added burnout to their international classification of diseases so it's got this like you know, international backing now. And they describe it as a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that hasn't been successfully managed. And for burnout to occur, it's characterized by three dimensions. So these three dimensions have to occur together technically to be in burnout. And they are feelings of energy depletion or that physical exhaustion. So that's what we sort of tend to recognize first. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one is this detachment and depersonalization, which, you know, is this mental distance that we have from our job. So a bit of cynicism, negativity, that type of thing. And then the third one is reduced professional efficacy. So we start to feel that we're not doing a good job. We're not, you know, achieving that type of thing. So those three have to be uh, present for burnout to occur. Whilst burnout does happen in the workplace, like it it really does happen within these structural, you know, constraints of an organisation. But then from an individual perspective, when we look at that, I think it comes down to how we personally manage that chronic stress because chronic stress is the risk factor to burnout. So, um, and the good news is that, you know, that's partially in our control. So we can, there are things that we can do about that. Okay. Awesome. I want to talk about that. But first, I just thank you for clarifying that. So, um, and you know what is really frightening is the fact that it's actually classified as a disease. Like that's really, really serious, like mind blowing actually, Kelly. Yeah, it is. And um, it's a little bit different. So it's not necessarily in all the medical conditions. You can't technically diagnose burnout um, because it's not a medical condition per se, but they have put it in this area of like syndromes. So, um, but I think the first step is, as you say, that it's actually been recognized. Yes. 
Yes. And pre-pandemic, 2019. Yes, 2019. I noticed that. So that's, <laughs> um, and that would have been based on like information and research and everything from even way before that as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you talk really openly about your own experience with burnout and that's what led you to doing this really important work that you're now doing. I feel awful asking this question, but I'm going to ask it because I'm sure the listeners are probably wondering is how someone of your level of expertise around health and well-being, how was it that you found yourself in this situation, like completely pushed beyond your limits? Like how does that happen, Kelly? <laughs> Believe me, the iron is not lost on me um, that as a health professional, I burnt out and quite spectacularly. Um, but I think, you know, the more I've learned about it through my own journey and in the work that I'm doing, it's actually more common than we think. And I'll share a few reasons why in a moment. But I think, yeah, if I share a little bit of my story, my burnout experience to provide the context, I think that'll, you know, give the clues as to how it happens. Um, and I do talk about um, in the article, the LinkedIn article I recently wrote burnout in women um I go into a lot more detail um hopefully to to share and you know give women those points to um maybe uh connect with but essentially I was 31 um I was living alone in Europe um and I was working in high performance sport yeah So this was a career I dedicated my life to since the age of 15 and was just so passionate about it. So everything I'd done up until that point, school, uni, my doctorate, all job choices had the one goal of working with Olympic athletes, which I did. I achieved that um, both in Australia and overseas, but my life was my work. Work was my life. It became my identity, my self-worth, and it was just all this this all-consuming thing the role that I had quite a high level of responsibility and I just gave everything I had to it at the expense of my own physical and mental health and well-being. I didn't want to fail and being in that elite performance environment, it's what you live and breathe and I held myself to those same standards. Was I an Olympic athlete? No, but I was still, you know, holding myself to that same level. On the other side of that, um, I was also in the, you know, textbook, quote, unquote, perfect work environment for burnout, including a toxic culture um, and lack of organisational support, which are two key contributors. But I didn't know it was burnout at the time. You know, seven years ago, burnout was not talked about. We did, I didn't know anything about burnout. So, yes, I was a health professional, but it was in pursuit of high performance from an athletic perspective. I didn't know about burnout and I just knew I was always extremely stressed to an abnormal level. Okay, so I was smart enough to know that. You know, I was probably living in this state for a couple of years, worsening state. So a couple of years in that state, it I hit rock bottom um, from that and you know, just became, I described myself in the article as a non-functioning human. Insomniac, so, you know, really disturbed sleep, physically exhausted. I would sleep an entire weekend, I kid you not. Um, I would barely eat and really got to this sense of depersonalization. So looking in the mirror and not recognizing myself or connecting with myself so you know that's probably an extreme version and knowing what I know now about burnout in that you know in that state for quite a long time um, and hence the severity and the intensity of mine and then subsequently the length of time it took for me to recover and get back to this stage normal which 
probably, if I was honest, took me about three or four years wow. to really get back. So, yeah, so despite having health knowledge, I didn't know about burnout. Yeah. Um, and the second thing I will mention, which I think is quite important, is the personality traits. So I'm a high achiever, high performer, A-type, perfectionist, self-confessed, um, and very passionate and purpose-driven in my work, and I always have been. So whilst these are positive traits, they can be quite a potent cocktail together in certain environments, um, which I was in. And so, you know, this can tend to increase the risk of burnout. There's a little bit of literature on that. And so, yeah, the recovery for me, it, it was really a complete 180 degree change in my lifestyle, top to bottom. Um, I had to take a dose of my own medicine, really, yes. and start taking yeah. my own advice and put all of this in, um, you know, in application to myself uh, and really get myself and my health back on track. So, uh, yeah, quite a process. <laughs> yeah. What was the first thing that you did? Did you quit your job? Like what was it that, that you took care of first? Yeah, well, I got to a point where I just wasn't able to work. So it was going through a process of medical appointments and many yeah. doctors and trying to get to the bottom of this. As I said before, you can't technically diagnose burnout, so it's yeah. quite material in that sense. Mm. Um, but I essentially had uh, a doctor's certificate. I was working 50% um, because I literally couldn't drag myself out of bed um, mm. before lunchtime and I had about a couple of hours of brain capacity um, wow. before I was just shot again. Um, yeah. So then I took time off. I think that was leading into the end of the year. So I had some time off over Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, I, I came back into the work environment. But after a couple of months, I could see myself going down a similar path again. And so yeah. eventually I had to make that call. Yeah. Um, that this environment wasn't supportive. And yes, I did uh, resign from that role. Uh, I was probably about six months later. Yeah. So you removed yourself from that environment, which was such a big contributor to that, to the burnout. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kelly. I know that, you know, it wasn't easy, but it definitely helps people to hear this. And I think particularly right now, as this episode is, is going out, it's that it is that Christmas holiday break a lot of people have kind of you know limped to the end of of another year and are perhaps taking a little bit of time out and reflecting on how they've spent their year what they want the next year to look like you know might be feeling like I need to make a change but I'm not quite sure you know I can't sustain this how I've been you know go 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 because you mentioned those personality characteristics that are very like sort of typical for, for women who are in burnout. You know, when you said like that high achiever, high performance, like goal, goal orientated, striving kind of women, that is most women who run their own businesses. Like they, they are really very, very driven individuals. But, you know, what you're illustrating here is that that can be a bit of a cocktail for burnout. So I do really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm really kind of interested to know what you think it is that actually stops us as women from like, we're so good at like, you know, keeping our businesses running and doing all the things that our clients need us to do and 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 all of that sort of thing. But we're not so great at taking responsibility for our own health and well-being. Why do you think that is? 
I don't think it's intentional. No. <laughs> like, it's not I don't think so either. <laughs> so I think, and, and it's a few things. So as in my case, um, we, and, and many business owners, you know, we feel this higher purpose and this responsibility towards our careers and what we do. And, you know, it leads us to sacrifice everything in pursuit of it, um, you know, to different degrees. Yeah. It also comes down to the life load that we carry in addition. So we have, you know, so many competing demands for our time, our energy and resources um, from, you know, uh, we're parents, um, partners, we've got our jobs. Um, and there's just at the end of the day, nothing left over for us. So we find ourselves, and this is what I hear from many of my clients, is that they're at the bottom of their own list if they even make it on there. And they realize it, most realize this, and they want to get their health back in order. And they're in this downward spiral, but I think they get to the point where they don't know what to do to fix it. And it impacts their work in their personal life. And so yeah. usually this is where I step in. And, and it's an important point that you made that we are our business. And I think we have to keep that in mind. So without our health, we can't operate and we don't have our business. So yeah. It shifts from this nice to have to really an imperative. It's like flipping it on its head and, you know, the cliche of the oxygen mask, everyone, we hear it and we hear it and we hear it. But but we don't bloody do it. (laughs) And, you know, we can't be there for our kids, our partners, our workplace, our teams, our business if we can't operate. And I often think of health as the base of the triangle, right? So our health is our foundation and then we can give to our leadership, to our business, to our career. But if we don't have the health, we can't build from that. And I feel like a lot of women, and I'm going to hold my hand up here and and be like, I am absolutely one of those people who like, I sort of feel like if I get all the other stuff further up the triangle, sorted, then I'll have time to take care of my like health and well-being. But actually, yeah, like you said, when it's not being taken care of, it's like the whole triangle just crumbles because mm-hmm. I've got nothing to hold up everything else. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely a work in progress. And I think there is a big difference because, you know, there is an abundance of information out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever been a time when we've had as much information as we do, but we don't take action. Like it's just this sort of block of of actually really, really prioritizing it. Um, and often it's not until like a lot of women in my world over the last sort of 12 months or so there's been like health scares and mm. and and diagnosis of like some really quite serious illnesses and that has been what's made them kind of hit that button and go okay all right that that time to get serious now yeah why do we leave it until the then to actually do something it's so true and i would say that's the pattern that i see repeated um is that and and i put myself that's exactly you know what i did it yeah. took that serious health scare mm-hmm. for me to completely shift my and change my life. And um, unfortunately, I think we need to, you know, we fly too close to the sun and, and that's our impetus to change yeah. things. 
So to a degree, I mean, that might come on in, in different circumstances, but it's it's how long are we going to ignore that message for before we take that action? And, you know, to your point, there is so much information and I think sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming. So it's like, you know, what I say to my um, clients is the fundamentals, keep it simple and just the one little action, you know, yeah. just start, just do something um, yeah. and, and it flows from there. Yeah, you don't need to overhaul your entire yeah. life on the 1st of January or whenever. And that's what we try to do yeah. and it doesn't, like, it, it doesn't work. So, yeah. yeah, it's small steps. Yeah, it is, absolutely. So something that I wanted to talk to you about in particular because this, this has come up throughout the conversation about this emphasis of linking burnout to like our workplace, like our paid workplace. But as women, and you 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 mentioned this earlier too, about all of the different roles that we perform in our life, the parenting, the running the household, the caring for other people. What are your thoughts around this? I would love to get some insights into like what you think is like solutions where we are, like, you know, our workplace doesn't finish at five o'clock when we leave an office, if we're even leaving an office anymore, you know, like it's that kind of the work bleeds all through our whole lives. How can we exist in our lives and run our lives and, and be like our whole person and avoid this burnout? Hmm. It's an interesting point because burnout technically has only been defined and studied um, in a workplace context. But it's been something I've been thinking a lot about lately, um, you know, with the advent of the coronavirus pandemic and yeah. the acute personal stress that so many of us uh, have been through in the last few years um, yeah. and this whole situation just being exacerbated. So personally, I'm curious to see where the research leads in the next couple of years yeah. and whether this definition does actually expand out yeah. to other areas in our lives. You know, I think there's potential. Yeah, I, you know, obviously I see things practically and I'm, yeah, I'm really curious to see where that goes. As to solutions, so I think now there's less of a definition between the workplace and the personal life. And it's like yeah. everything in our life is just being dumped onto the table in front of us. Yes. <laughs> it's like a handbag tipped upside down. Everything yeah. is there. And how do we make sense and order of it? And not that it's not been like that, but it's, again, it's exacerbated. Um, yeah. And so one thing, really simple thing that I do with my clients at the beginning of my coaching programs yeah. is set up what I call their performance lifestyle framework. It's, it's essentially setting up some scaffolding for them, which they can then operate their lives. So we're starting to, you know, push things into piles and get some order. Um, so what I like to do is calibrate their health goals in the context of a couple of things. So firstly, they're pillars or life priorities. So, you know, called a lot of different things, the four burners, et cetera, but there should only be about four. So you can put them in priority order. Um, so I want to know what's most, what are the most important areas to you, the things, um, and then look at what the non-negotiables. So what are the imperatives, but also what are you not willing to sacrifice? Yeah. So be really clear about that. It's clarity about what really matters and setting the boundaries around that. So when we're talking health goals, you know, what are you not willing to sacrifice? Um, and then on the other side, what are the non-negotiables? So 
And inadvertently, that becomes a really nice decision-making framework then for your life. You know, personal and professional are are there. And so this is a really nice way, as I said, just to get clarity at the beginning and, you know, start simple. So if that's what you can do, um, it helps with this you're overwhelming this, you know, overload with competing demands. I love that. I love that. The performance lifestyle framework. I <laughs> I made that up. So that's but that's brilliant. That. <laughs> no, I think it's good. And like coming back, that's the foundation. That's the base of the triangle that you talked about before. Getting that locked and loaded. I absolutely love that. Now, something that you and I have in common is that many of the women that we are supporting in our work in the thick of the perimenopause transition. And boy, is that a <laughs> is that a fun time. Um, and look, having, you know, been there myself, I know what a massive impact this stage of life has on our ability to function. So how do you particularly support women who are in, in this stage? And what advice would you give to um, our listener who may be going through that as well? Now, this is a really interesting area and where I'm focusing like the bulk of of my work is what I call the perfect storm because perimenopause often occurs at the same time as we might be experiencing burnout or at highest risk of burnout because the ages overlap. So I see this quite often, particularly with, you know, professional women that I work with. So, um, Many of the same areas like the physical, the mental and the cognitive health are affected. And we, you know, for example, we experience these declines in cognitive ability, um, a disturbed sleep. We've got highly emotional states, low moods, uh, weight gain, and that can happen in both situations due to the hormone responses. So they're like big, chunky areas of crossover than the obvious, you know, specific perimenopause specific things like our hot flushes, etc. So it's really like this double whammy um, mm-hmm. of, of everything being heightened with the two. Um, yeah. But the good thing is with that is that it's the similar lifestyle strategies then that can address both. Yeah. You know, what I recommend to prevent burnout in terms of, um, you know, coming back to reducing the chronic stress it also hits off on some of these big chunky perimenopause uh, symptoms as well because that high stress is the common factor. We know that high stress can exacerbate the perimenopause symptoms mm-hmm. um, and obviously increases our risk of burnout. So I'm going to share some like some tactical strategies that will hit off sort of these big ticket items yep, right. um, before getting into individual symptoms because yeah. you know, perimenopause is so individual. It's very individual. Like yeah, that's right. Yes. More than 54 known symptoms, you that's know, so depending wild, on, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. often, you know, what I've seen previously is that women um, in these high-level roles or running businesses, they're mm. highly stressed, but mm. we don't know, okay, what stress and it kind of sometimes almost masks the perimenopause. Yes, and I've had conversations with yeah. people about exactly that, like the fact that, it, you know, the doctor has gone, oh, you're just stressed, you're yeah. just tired, you've just, you know, you're doing too much or whatever, but actually there's some really serious health stuff with perimenopause that are not being addressed and 
in you know in in a couple of people that I've spoken to's case were really easily fixed with you know like the right medication and all of that sort of thing and yet they were in a really really bad way so yes I I I know what you mean about the masking of the symptoms yeah and I saw this brought to light I worked with a cohort of um women last year and I had a sub cohort in perimenopause and you know, by addressing their high stress, we saw a 156% reduction in the frequency and severity of their perimenopause symptoms. So um, by hitting, you know, some of these big ticket items, and that was was a small group, but, you know, it just goes to show the impact. It may not sound like much, but when we're consistent about these lifestyle strategies that I'm going to share in a sec, you know, it does have a tangible impact. The first one that I would say is stress mitigation, obviously. Yeah. So, um, and this can be, you know, ad hoc in the moment, um, or it can be sort of like planned into routines or rituals. So a couple of things that we can you know, we're all in these busy lifestyles, a little bit time poor. Yeah. But if if I could give you two in terms of two strategies in stress mitigation would be breathing is number one. And again, <laughs> this one is, you know, everyone's banging on about breathing at the moment, but honestly, for, for a really good reason, it's the one thing that will, you know, rip on the handbrake of our stress response and flip us into this relaxation response. So we get into this parasympathetic nervous system dominance. This can be really simple. And I use the term micro strategies for a lot of my clients. So what you, you if you take 60 seconds to two minutes of breathing, that might be 15 to 20 breaths, you know, yes. so, and the thing to remember is that to get into that state, um, your exhale just has to be longer than your inhale. Yeah. Right. So focus on the exhale. And that could be a lot of my women in back-to-back teams meetings and Zoom calls all day, right? Mm-hmm. So take 60 seconds to two minutes before you flick to the next meeting um, and doing that consistently uh, will have a big impact. Um, so that's something you can use ad hoc. I have other women who use breathing to relax at night to go to sleep or even just um, a couple of minutes before they start their work day. Yeah. So can be used multi-ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is meditation uh, and any form of meditation. So be a bit flexible and 10 minutes is is really enough. Um, so it can be the traditional meditation. It can be guided meditations. Women, I know like nature meditation. So yes. just be that in nature, a yep. walking meditation. So it brings in this concept of mindfulness, but 10 minutes throughout the day um, plus it's a bonus exercise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, being flexible with meditation. And again, it comes down to the consistency. So doing it consistent consistently is where you'll get the benefit. Yeah, got it. Um, so the second one is exercise. Now, this is super important um, for women in perimenopause, uh, healthy levels of exercise so that we don't, you know, elicit and <laughs> come back into the burnout risk of, you know, yes. uh, increasing the stress levels, but healthy exercise can be a great stress buster. Um, mood booster. So we have to remember that in perimenopause, we get that loss of estrogen and serotonin, okay, which is normally like what makes us feel good and with our mood. So by exercising, we're sort of mimicking that effect. So we get the mood boost. Uh, And exercise also helps our cognitive function. So all these things that we kind of get hit in perimenopause, exercise can sort of flip that around. Uh Um, 
exercise is super important. Um, and the third one is sleep because there's a bi-directional relationship between stress and sleep. If we're highly stressed, our sleep is impacted. And when we get poor sleep, we get more get stressed. stressed. Yeah. Um, and so the thing here, like in perimenopause, we start to get sleep disturbances around the quantity and the quality of sleep. So to hit those off, I say, um, you know, create the cave. So if I hit caveman, we want it to be cool. You want it to be a dark and quiet environment. Fantastic. All dark and quiet. I love and it. Then create the, the cave. cave. <laughs> yeah, create the cave. Um, bed clothes and clothing. So don't have, you know, all the dunas on your bed. Um, don't wear things like that are really tight fitting right. that yeah. you know, when you get the sweat. So um, bed clothes and clothing are two other things to add in there. Um, and consistency. So trying to build a consistent sleep-wake routine. So it it works with our circadian rhythms then. It sort of aligns it all and it and it gives us the best chances of getting good quality and quantity sleep so um it doesn't have to be too sort of technical (laughs) yes love a bonus I'll give you a bonus um particularly because it's important over this Christmas and holiday period I think is being aware of our lifestyle behaviors um and in particular caffeine and alcohol consumption Mm -hmm. which you know in a holiday period um socializing a lot more it's you know it's our relaxed time um but they can add additional physiological and mental stress for us so it's not about demonizing this and saying you know no caffeine or alcohol but it's just being aware about how we consume it and how much we're consuming these can impact our stress hormones right so it can impact our sleep our recovery um, and our cognitive abilities which are already being hit by parents it's sad. It is a sad but true fact. And I, I, I notice yeah. it myself even just like even some like and depends on what wine it is or whatever, but, you know, I can have like one glass and then I'm awake all night and, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bugger, but it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. true, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just being aware of that, um, that fact and just trying to limit when you can. So, yeah. you know, and I think by doing this in the general, so like limiting the um, the weekday wines at the end of the day, for example, um, limiting that and and then, you know, do it for a month and then see how your peri symptoms are. Yes. It can have an impact. It does have an impact, Kelly. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, so... Thank you for those those tips. They're really, really handy, um, you know, particularly for women who are in that perimenopausal stage. Um, in terms of like general, just general advice, um, because I think, you know, a lot of people kick off the new year and go, I'm going to do better this year. I'm going to take care of my health and well-being. I'm going to prioritize myself. And then by usually kind of mid-Feb, real life has well and truly gotten in the way and those resolutions with, you know, some people don't like the word resolutions, but those commitments that we have made to ourselves can can fall by the wayside. So what are a couple of really easily implementable things that we can do as we kickstart the year to make that lasting change to take better care of ourselves this year? Key thing here, I think, is to make it sustainable. So I'm I'm all about uh, sustainability for high performance. And something I always say for my time in elite sport is that it takes more than good intentions to reach 
high performance. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't rely on our willpower. So yeah. if we want to be high performers, we have to have optimal health. Um, so be really intentional about not so much about what you're going to do, but how you set up your year from the get-go. So again, come back to a support structure to help yourself, (laughs) give some support to yourself so that you can achieve what you want to. So in addition to setting up that performance lifestyle framework that I mentioned before, um, I would say uh, plan your recovery time through the year, number one. So this is something we did with athletes um, to balance out their physical stress load. We called it periodization. Um, And so we would do this uh, daily, weekly, monthly, annually. So start big, look at your calendar and map out what your key deliverables are for that year. When do they happen? When are the hot spots? You know, is it key deliverables, projects, um, you know, board meetings, et cetera, what, whatever that might be, map it out yeah. and then plan your recovery around it. Yeah. So put some downtime, uh, you know, cushions, put some cushions around it. <laughs> then schedule your vacations. So put your vacation times in. This year, for example, I took a week off every quarter. Yeah. Tended to be sort of the the around the beginning of the quarter. Yeah. Um, then plan some recovery time monthly and then sort of weekly and daily. Now you might do that, you know, next year as you're setting up your weekly schedules, yeah. et cetera, but put it in the calendar. That gives you then like almost a run sheet <laughs> for yes. your Yeah. And we're intentional about recovery because it's not always about, you know, how do we mitigate stress? Stress is good to get stuff done. We just have to match it with recovery, right? So that's what brings the sustainability into it. Um, Second thing off that I talk about is managing your energy effectively. So we can't be at 100% all of the time. We can perform when it counts in a sustainable way. And to do that, so a little heuristic I use is the 80-20 principle. Yeah. So what health habits support you to achieve your desired level of performance 80% of the time? So this is on the daily. So this will be yeah. different for everyone. Make yeah. sure it's realistic. Um, and then what do you need to do to perform at your peak in that 20% of the 20%. time? 20%. So coming back Love to it. the okay. goals yeah. and deliverables that you've just talked about, well, what do you need to do um, in addition or more of um, to make sure you can hit that milestone, right? So it, so we're cruising along and then we peak and then we go back to cruising along and we've got our recovery in there. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it takes a little bit of time, um, but figure out what you need to do to perform on the daily and make it a habit. So if you could see my office here, I've got a whiteboard yep. <laughs> with my habits of high performance for a day because I need to keep myself accountable. So I've got a list here of things that I hit off so that I can get the best out of myself. Do you mind sharing? Like what are some, just you don't have to tell us all, but like what are yeah. some of your high performance habits? Some key things. So I split it up, but you know, yep. geeky nerd. So I split it yep. up into morning, day and yep. night. And I actually shared this a few weeks ago on Instagram, a picture yep. of it. Um, but things for me are uh, 20 minutes of meditation in the morning, mm-hmm. um, 10 minutes of sunlight to start my day. Oh, so yes. super easy, yep. um, but it's really good for, again, setting that uh, consistent sleep schedule. So okay. it essentially flicks the switch. So when you see sunlight, it's about 15 to 16 hours later, you will start to feel tired to go to bed. So it's almost like Righto, time is on. And so if you're looking to get like get your sleep more consistent, 10 minutes of sunlight in the morning. In the morning. 
Yeah, happy wow. sunlight, no sunglasses or anything. So, yeah. yep, see your sunlight. So there, there's some key things. Um, and then through the day, hydrating, so great for brain health and physical performance. Um, taking a lunch break, stepping away from my desk, um, and then what I call brain break. So every so often, getting up and just getting away from my computer, um, yeah. and you know, giving myself a break. Yeah. Um, and then at night, so a similar thing with light exposure. So I dim my lights after sunset. Yeah. And so that then, um, you know, we know that light stimulates us. So yes. dim your lights. And I'm fortunate to live in a place where I can dim the lights. Yeah. Um, having dinner two hours before my bedtime. Um, and then I'm, I have a Whoop device which helps me um, with my sleep. So I aim to get at least 90% of my sleep need at night. So I have a bit of a, a sleep routine. Some key things that, that's, that's on my list. And I know like they would be in my 80%. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Thank you for sharing those. And you know what I love about all of this, Kelly? All of this is doable. It is so doable. It is doable. Mm. Like the, the 10 minutes of sunlight, that like that makes that's incredible. Like I just get yeah, this. <laughs> and then 15 hours later, you'll sleep well. Um, yeah, but I love that. And the fact I loved that you led with recovery making mm-hmm. sure that we factor in that rest because this is something that I always, you know, when I'm doing planning sessions with my clients for the year, it's like, okay, where's the downtime? Where is Where are the holidays? Where are the breaks? Where, you know, because we can't go at 100% 52 weeks of the year. We cannot even, but the problem with running a business is that there is, there's always like the to-do list never disappears you know there's always something that you could be doing you and I were talking about Mm. this before we started recording it's like you know wrapping up for the year well when do we wrap up like because there's there you could go and go and go and go until the you know five o'clock on the 24th of December um so it is it's that it's having that from a proactive place to set those recovery times throughout you know year month, week, day. I love it. That's fantastic. Um, (laughs) Kelly, you have shared so much gold today, so many nuggets that are going to really, really help all of us as we head into this new year. The final question that I ask all of my guests um, is to share something with our listener that they may have read, watched, listened to, experienced that will give our listeners a bit of a life or a business boost what would you like to share with us i'm going to be a little bit different and share an app with you yep fantastic Um, because what i have also started is a gratitude practice Uh uh-huh and so this is called the gratitude app and i've started using it over the past month um mainly to keep myself you know, in a routine to yeah. build that routine and that habit of gratitude. And yeah. I noticed that, as I mentioned, I have a whoop which um, tracks my biometrics. And when on the days that I express gratitude, it has an 8% positive impact on my recovery. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is the whoop is like a wearable, right? Like it's a, yes. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And because so, you love the data, I can tell like all of these percentages, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, 8%. And you yeah. can, that's amazing. Wow. It, 
So I've been tracking this over time yep. in the group and it and it it's awesome in terms of um the lifestyle behaviors that it gets and yeah um and puts into perspective for you. So yeah, so I know that if I'm expressing gratitude through a practice, yep. it significantly impacts my recovery. And the health benefits are becoming um of gratitude practice are becoming so well known. There's a lot of science now coming out about it. Um, it increases our stress resistance and yeah. resilience. It boosts our immune function. It helps us sleep. Um, even coming down to like our sense of self worth as well, which is super important as you know business women. Um, yeah. So they're just some of the benefits and. What I like about this app is that it's a no frills app, so you don't get you know distracted by all the yes, pretty all the other stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like an it's almost like a glorified. It's pretty colors, like yeah. a notes sort of thing in your in your phone. Um, yeah. and so it has some prompters as well, so you can go in and you can list you know things that you're grateful for. But then it'll also say, um, you know, for example, what made you laugh recently, or you know, have a look at one of the photos, share a photo, and you know, what made you, why are you grateful for this? You know, what made you happy about this? And so it's cool little prompters as well. Um, awesome. Start building that. So, yeah, that's, that's what I would love to share. Is the gratitude app. The gratitude app. Fabulous. Um, or even just, yeah. yeah, to help you start a gratitude practice. That's um, great. Yes, I'm all for that. That's That's brilliant. Thanks, Kelly. So where can our listeners get more of you in their lives after this conversation? Mm, thanks, Michelle. So the best place probably is Instagram at Dr. Kelly Rose. And I have a link tree in my bio, which kind of links you to all the important stuff. So the burnout article that I mentioned, if you want to get more insight into And I'll put that, a link to that in the show notes as well, because that was really, really powerful really powerful. And then I've also got a couple of events coming up in 2023. So as I said, most of us have dragged ourselves to the finish line of 2022. Yep. So if you're looking to kick off 2023 on the right foot, there's links to those events. The first one is on the 10th of Feb in Brisbane. Um, it's called the Trilogy of Wellbeing for Women in Leadership. And we look at heart, body and mind. So we want to reconnect with ourselves and our health for a successful 2023. So if you're interested in something in person to kick off the year and then also International Women's Day events, so the links to there um, and then a link to my website if you want to find out one on, um, more about my one-on-one coaching services as well. So, yeah, Instagram will send you to all of those. Like, Everything. That's awesome, Kel, and I'll put, I will put all of those links in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for all that you have shared today. I've really loved this conversation. I have learned a lot and I know that, yeah, it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle, and for getting all of this important information out there. I think it's a really good time for us as women to start taking some notice and taking yes, taking it seriously. Action. Absolutely. Yeah, taking for ourselves. So thank you. Fantastic. I'll talk to you soon.